All right, good evening, everybody. It's good to almost see you. Uh, I'm Dave Grant, and I'm delighted to be with you here this evening. Um, the title of this message is, You Are More Than You Think, More Than You Feel, You're a Child of the King. The other day, I was in Super One, about two days ago, and I ran into an old friend of mine, hadn't seen for a long time. He's about 70 years of age. Nice fella. And he was excited to see me. He goes, Dave, 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 good to see you. And he runs up to me, and he throws out his elbow at me, and we do an elbow bump. Now, can you imagine uh, a few months before these COVID times, if, if, if a gentleman came up to you and tried to do an elbow, he'd be like, what are you doing? Everything has changed. There's now elbow bumps. I don't know if I'm supposed to shake hands or do an elbow bump or do a fist bump. Uh, in addition to that, you know, there's a lot of people, it's air hugs, uh, you know, uh, and then there's those that, all right, back up, back up. You're too close, six feet away. All right, now, hi, how you doing? I don't even know how to greet people anymore uh, because everyone wants to do just a little bit differently. This is a day when all the rules are changing. And, and, and that, that's one of the problems. We don't know exactly what they are. Um, you know, masks are good. No, masks are bad. Uh, no, save masks for medical people only. No, everyone should wear a mask. No, if you don't wear a mask, we'll kick you out of the store. It changes all the time. But underneath all those different layers, whether it's, whether it's blaming or trying to figure out an answer of what was or what's supposed to happen now, underneath all of those different pieces, there's a common denominator. There's a lot of fear. You see fear in our society. You see fear in people. You see fear in how they're responding to the unknown. Underneath that, though, there's more than just fear. There's actually a spirit of fear that is alive and well in our society. Remember when Paul talked to Timothy and he said, you have not been given a spirit of fear? He said that in 1 Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy, sorry, chapter 1. That, that's in the Bible. There's such a thing as a spirit of fear. Now, that's one of the reasons, actually, I believe that as a church, we are in our, our potentially finest hour. Because you see, we don't necessarily have a lot of answers if you're talking disease stuff. It's not necessarily our area of expertise. We have a lot of opinions, but it's not our area of expertise. But if you're talking spirit stuff, you're talking our language. And not only that, but you're also talking about something that we can do something about. The world is looking for all kinds of answers. And in the area of the spirit, in the area of fear, as a church, we have much to give them. Now, the world may not want to admit it, but they already are recognizing that the church does have answers. The other day I was hearing about Gateway Church in Dallas, large metropolitan area, big church. They normally minister to 30,000 people a week. Okay, they've been live streaming during these stay-at-home times, and they've been ministering to over 300,000 people. Wow, 
People are hungry. People are desperate. People are looking for answers. In times of fear, we have the opportunity to raise up our heads and say, hey, look, you want to understand how to deal with fear? Come see us. You want to understand how to find peace? Come see us. You want to understand freedom, even if you have to shelter in place for the rest of your life, come and see us. This is an opportunity for the church to provide life and wholeness and the message of hope that the world is looking for. So it's a great time, actually, to be part of the church, and I'm so looking forward to this Pentecost Sunday, getting together and filling all these seats back up and trying to figure out how on earth I'm going to greet everybody. I'm not sure, but we'll figure it all out. Um, the children of Israel were no strangers to, to plague and disasters. And I want to take a look for just a few minutes at one of those times of trial to see what it has to say to us. So if you've got your Bible, your phone, whatever you're looking it up with, turn to the book of Judges chapter 6. We're going to look at one of these times. Judges chapter 6 in the Old Testament. Now, this is a story about the nation getting oppressed in a very different way than they normally did. There's these guys called the Midianites. They didn't do it the same way many had, come, many had done. They didn't come in and take over the country and plunge and kill people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They came in, they would take all the food. They would take the grain, they would take the oil, they would take the wine, they would take everything, the produce of the land, the, the, the animals, they would swoop in, take all the best of the land, and then leave again. And they did that on a fairly regular basis. So this is kind of the scene, and this is what's going on at that time. And if you look down uh, in, that, in that beginning chapter, the people began to cry out to God. And God explained to them, this is why it's happening to you. In their case, they'd messed up. They turned away from God, which took them out from underneath his favor. But as it went on, they cried out, and God said, I'm going to find a deliverer. Now, it's interesting because when God looks for a deliverer, he doesn't look for a deliverer the same way we would look for a deliverer. You know, the world says... Lead, follow, or get out of the way. And there's certain people that are just born leaders, and we're going to look for those great men and women who are great leaders, and they're going to set us free. No, God was looking primarily just for someone who was willing. Someone who was willing to follow him. And as you're going to see in the story, he wasn't exactly a born leader. And the guy we're talking about is Gideon. And, and I'm sure you're familiar with this story. It's a very familiar story about Gideon and the fleece and fighting the battles and stuff. But its story starts off in verse 11. In verse 11, an angel shows up and sits around hanging under a tree. He sat under a tree in verse 11, and he's, he's on the land of Joash, who's Gideon's dad. Gideon is inside of a wine press, a big structure that they used to press the, the grapes to make the wine. Well, it wasn't the season for grapes. It was harvest time for the grain, and he was hiding inside the wine press in an attempt to try to thresh out a little bit of grain 
trying to save his family from starvation and not have it stolen by the Midianites. So this is where the scene opens up, and the angel speaks to Gideon, and this is the first time we hear what amounts to this phrase. You are more than you think. You are more than you feel. You're a child of the king. And what the angel actually says to Gideon is he says, Hail, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. (laughs) Now, can you imagine that from Gideon's perspective? Here he is hiding inside a wine press, hiding from the enemy, trying not to get caught. They've had so much taken from them. They've been overrun by the enemy over and over. And when the angel gives that saying to him, Gideon's response is basically, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Mighty man of valor. Give me a break. And, and, and what he does is he immediately starts to go into the wise. We often look at the wise when we get into situations that we don't understand. God, why is this happening? What's going on? Oh, you hear the whine in my voice? Yeah, because the why is a pity pot question. The why doesn't give us an opportunity to really solve any problems because the more important the question you're asking the why about, the less likely you're going to have an answer. So he goes into this why stuff. Well, if, if God's with us, why has all this happened to us? In verse 13, where are all the miracles? And he goes on and on, and, he, and he's, he's complaining. He's just saying, no, I'm not a mighty man of valor. No, I'm not a great man. And, and, and you notice the interesting part? In verse 14, the Lord completely ignores all his questions. Sometimes we ask questions of God, and he doesn't answer them in the way we think we're going to get them answered, or even in the time. And in this case, Gideon doesn't even get an answer. The Lord ignores him, and he simply says one thing. I want you to go. You're going to go. Go. In this might of yours, you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. You are more than you think. You are more than you feel. You're a child of the king. (laughs) All right, well, now... Now, Gideon really starts to kind of deal with this one. Um, No, 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 no. You don't understand. I come from the wrong side of the tracks, okay? My clan is the least in Manasseh, he says. We're not powerful people. I'm not, as a matter of fact, I'm the baby of the family. Now, that may not mean much to us in our society, but it does mean something to those of us who are babies in the family, right? There's some of you that are babies in the family. I'm the baby in the family, okay? I'm a rather large baby at this point in my life, but if I go home, I'm still the baby, and I still get treated. My mom and dad are still alive. I get treated like the baby and my big sister, and they, they. And so Gideon's like, I'm just the kid brother. What on earth can I do? So Again, the Lord reminds him the same thing. You're more than you think. You're more than you feel. You're a child of the king. The Lord says, surely I will be with you, and you will defeat Midian as one man. Well, Gideon's still not really too sure on this stuff. 
but he's starting to turn his heart a little bit. He says, okay, now, if, 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 if this is kind of true, if I found favor, I'm going to go get an offering and bring it back to you. He recognizes this is not a normal interaction. So he goes away and gets an, and, and, and notice what he does for an offering. It, it, it says there that, that he went, in verse 19, he prepares a young goat. He prepares a meal. Now, can you imagine? This is a pretty, the, Gideon doesn't sound like much of a great hero right now, but this is a huge step of willingness. Don't forget, they've lost everything. All their food has been taken from them by the enemy. And he's out killing a goat and making this broth and doing all this stuff for, for what? He doesn't even know. And he brings it back, and, and the angel says, all right, put it on the rock. Put it on the rock. So he puts this stuff down the rock. He touches the rock. Boom. There's flame. There's fire. Everything's consumed. The angel's gone. Now, <laughs> right about that time, um, I'm sure Gideon was very, very freaked out. Because it says, right away, it says, oh, Lord, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Verse 22, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. He's terrified. Now, I can imagine that's exactly how you and I would respond in that type of situation. And then the Lord begins to speak to him. And from here on out, we don't know how he speaks to him. But he speaks to his heart. And he says, you know, basically, be at peace. It's okay. You're not going to die. Now, notice, notice what happens now. God now gives Gideon a little bit of a lesser task. He says, all right, I want you to go. I want you to go. And if, and if you look down in verse 24, 25, he says, I want you to go and tear down your father's false altar. He's got an altar to Baal. I want you to go tear it down. So we started talking about delivering the whole country. Gideon freaked out. And now let's said, Lord says, okay, let's, 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 just, let's, let's do this. Let's do this. And isn't that cool about God? You know, sometimes God asks us to do things, and we think like, well, if I don't get it just right, I'm going to get in trouble. Gideon's not really responding in a just right way, but it doesn't matter. God is leading him through the process. So Gideon's like, okay, okay. So Gideon takes servants from the family, and it says in the middle of the night, because he was too scared to do it during the day, he did that task. Now, this is what I love about Gideon, and this is the message for us. We sometimes get the idea, we sometimes get the idea that we have to have great faith or be absolutely free from doubt before we can be used of God. God uses only Pastor Travis or Pastor John or these, these mighty men and women of God. Pastor Linnell got said, wow, she's amazing. And we think, I could never do that. I mean, I believe, but I'm not sure if I really got. But, but look, at here's Gideon. He's in the midst of being afraid, and yet he's still willing. We're all a combination of belief and unbelief. Remember the story when Jesus, when Jesus spoke to the to the, uh, uh, the man who had his son was, was possessed and throwing himself into the fire all the time. And Jesus said, you know, like, do you believe? And the man cried out, I believe, but help my unbelief. We're all a mixture of both of those things. And that's what's going on with Gideon. He's scared, 
but he's still doing it. Well, of course, the next morning, the men are all mad, and they want to kill him, and his dad is actually pretty cool. His dad says, you know, if Baal's really God, let Baal defend himself. So Gideon kind of, nothing happens to him. All right, all right, maybe I can do this. He's starting to get a little more comfortable. Maybe I can do this. And, he, and it says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. He blows a trumpet and, and rallies and calls Israelites to come see him. But he's still scared. Okay, I, I, I think this is God, but I'm not really sure if this is God. I, oh, what do I do? So now we have the famous story that, that we're all aware of. This is the fleece story. And God says, all right, first of all, take the fleece, make the fleece wet, make the ground dry. Then I'm going to believe this is God. So God goes, okay, fine. God makes the fleece wet enough that he can actually pour a whole cup of water out of it, and the ground's all dry. Next day, Gideon comes back, all right, okay, that was good, that was good, okay. But I'm still not convinced. You know, that just could have been a thing with the fleece. Maybe it was already wet. I don't know. Tell you what, make the fleece dry and the ground wet. And so, of course, God does, sure. And he does that. Now, again, this is a story not so much about a man of faith and a man of belief as it is a story about the grace of God. God wants to work with us right where we're at not where we should be at. So by this time, Gideon's like, okay, okay, all right, all right, I can do this. I can do this. I, th- I think I can make it through. And then God says, okay, but we got a problem. We got a problem. Um, y'all got too many people. Now, if you look later on in chapter 8, you're going to find out that the Midianites, that the armies. Um, after this story happens, you find out that they actually had over 100,000 men, the bad guys. There's 100,000 bad guys over there, and altogether there's 32,000 Israelites. God says, ah, four versus one? Nah, it's not fair. I want the glory of what's going to happen. So they go through these, these couple of steps where, first of all, anyone who's afraid, go home. 22,000 people leave. Uh-huh. There's 100,000 of them, 30,000 I'm gone. I'm out of here. 22,000 go home. Then after that, they go through another process where there's the, where the, the story, and you'll see the story about the, about the drinking with the hand and, the, and, and standing up to drink, and, and another 10,000 almost of those go, and all we're left with is 300 people. You see... We do serve a jealous God. He doesn't want us to take the credit for what happens. He wants us to partner with him, but he wants us always to know he's the one making these things happen. He's the one that's bringing the hope. He's the one that's bringing the strength. It's not our abilities that's making the difference. It's his power. So, all right, now Gideon is all set up, of course, and... um, Then the Lord comes to him again, and he says to him, okay, I want you to go down to the camp and listen at the tent of the bad guy. You're going to find it really encouraging. But if you're scared to go, if you're scared, take your servant with you. So what does Gideon do? All right, servant, you're coming with me. 
He, so in other words, he's still scared. He's still scared. He's seen an angel appear and disappear. He's seen fire fall. He has seen, he has seen supernatural fleece get wet and ground dry. He's seen supernatural ground get wet and fleece dry. He's seen all this miraculous, and he's still scared. God doesn't ball him out, though. God doesn't say, you idiot. I told you I was taking care of it. No, he just says, if you're scared, do this. You see, this is an age of grace. Our papa wants to work with us, and he wants to partner with us, and he understands when we don't get it right, and that's okay. He is not looking for great leadership skills. He's looking for willingness. You're more than you think. You're more than you feel. You're a child of the king. So they go down and they listen. And of course, the story tells us, if you read through the story, you see um, down there that there's, there's uh, um, a man who has a dream. And the basic gist of this dream is that Gideon's going to wipe us out. Gideon realizes this is another supernatural way, the dream, that God is telling him one more time, you're more than you think, you're more than you feel. Your child of the king. So finally, Gideon comes back and, and he, he grabs the, the, the rest of the men that are there and he said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. And it's a really cool story. You can read the story with the pictures and the torches and the trumpets. And, and, and basically, 300 men with God rout an army of 120,000 without the Lord. You know, it's like that old saying that, that, that a rich man without God is just a poor man with a lot of money. And a poor man with God is just a rich man who hasn't got a lot of money. You know, right now, these days, we're getting a little overwhelmed. What's going to happen? I don't, I don't have my regular job. What am I going to do? When we have the Lord with us, we have everything. All right, very quickly, there's a couple of lessons out of this passage of Scripture we just read. Number one, not many mighty, not many noble. God's not looking for ability. He's looking for willingness, as I've already said. He wants to work with you and with me. Lesson number two, Gideon maintained a mixture of belief and unbelief all the way through, but God just kept moving him forward without chastising him. He is still gracious today. Lesson number three, God then, as now, rarely does things on his own. It's not enough for us to say, okay, Lord, bless all those people. We're the ones that have to reach out to them. He looks for people, those who aren't perfect, to be his partners. And then the fourth lesson, you're more than you think. You're more than you feel. You're a child of the king. Declare that over yourself this week. You are more than you think. You are more than you feel. You are a child of the king. And then go and look for someone that you can minister to. Maybe there's a little old lady down the street that needs her lawn cut. Maybe there's a guy across the road that doesn't have money to get the oil changed in his car, but you know how to do that. There are all kinds of practical ways we can demonstrate the love of the Father and we can help maybe, maybe 
just one more person get free from fear. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.
Amen. We're so excited you chose to tune in with us uh, this Wednesday night. We just pray that you'd have a blessed day today.